Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. You were on with Breen months back. I texted him while he was on the air. And I wrote to him, it is one of the great warped pleasures of my life in my old age to text people when they are on TV. I do it to Chuck Todd, to Steve Sands, to Carl Bernstein, to Ron Darling, to Michelle Tafoya, and now you. It's an eclectic list. And then I wrote, I can't stand Joel Embiid. Say hi to Doris for me. Tony. And he writes back within 30 seconds. Do you not like Embiid, the person or the player? And then he says, Doris says, and I quote, go to hell. This was so funny. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Can I say that um, the Doris Burke appearance resulted in me getting three or four texts from friends of mine saying how much they liked it, how much they enjoyed hearing from her and how they hoped that she might be on again. And I just that I don't usually get that. That was very nice. She's really smart. She's really fabulous analyzing basketball, and she's really smart. So, but, I'm, with, but with her recollection, it comes down to having a conversation, which I think is what we all like listening to. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it became more conversational than usual. Um, so Michael is here, six feet one inches apart on Uncle Benny's table. Uh, next week, we will certainly do shows Monday and Tuesday, and then either Thursday or Friday. I am undecided yet as to which, though, which day that will be. But I wanted to give you an alert on that. Monday, Tuesday, and then one later in the week. I got a bunch of mail. I wanted to just say mail thank time. You. Yeah, I wanted to say thank you to some people. Um, the, the people who run um, Mikutowski Woodworking, which sent me the, that beautiful pen box with the Jimmy Breslin quote on it, which is, kid, you'll never go anywhere in this business if you don't use a bick. <laughs> they, sent, they had actually uh, tried got to it. send me a Christmas card. But it was returned to them, so they sent it in a larger envelope, and I thank Jesse for that. Uh, I got a lovely, this is so beautiful. Um, George Mallet does the most beautiful artwork in, in miniature form on sort of note card form. Michael, look how beautiful this is. This is his Cezanne sort of period, which is really nice, and again, offering himself for various horse things. He's going to ride... He says on the back of the note, he's going to ride a grandson of Secretariat in the Mason City Parade. So, I mean, he's obviously a horseman. I appreciate that. Um, Chuck and Roxy sent down, we would like to formally invite you to the wedding of Chuck and Roxy. We know you won't be able to attend because you're stuck in your attic, but it would mean the world to us to have a signed invitation. So I signed it and sent it back. And they are getting married tomorrow. May 29th, getting married Great tomorrow. timing. Yeah. Don't have to worry about booster shots yet. Yeah, it's very, very good, so I'm happy with that. We have... I, I got drawings. I don't really understand the drawings. One is of me. I don't know who the other person is. Do you think that's you, Michael? Is that supposed to be you? Hmm. I'm not certain about that. I also... Uh, and I got a note from... I would like that hairline. Caldwell. I got a note from him. I, the... the, the the drawings are from Mr. Londergan in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. I don't know who the second person is. One is me. It's very nice. And I got a nice note from people who... You sure this isn't reality? I don't know. Is it re Maybe it's reality, but why would you send me reality? I got a nice note from Marcus and Carrie Dallas of uh, Fairborn, I guess, Ohio, who had sent a note from the uh, Uranus Fudge Factory, mm -hmm. which they went to. Every Everybody year. does that. So thank you very much for all of those nice... Notes. I wanted to start the show today with a couple of things. Two of them are golf-related, and one of them isn't. And I'll start with the one that isn't, and that is Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka may very well be the best. Nigel, you have a uh, don't you have a tennis podcast now? I do. What is yes. your tennis podcast? Why don't you tell the people about that, and then I'll ask you this tennis question. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, it's uh, Courtside, the U.S. Open podcast. Uh, the first episode dropped yesterday. Um, you can get it wherever you get podcasts. Um, and uh, one of the one of the first guests is Michael Chang. I got to chat with him about um, you know that great French Open win and that terrific match he had against Lendl, and you know it, it was a really really wonderful conversation. So I hope folks will check it out. Say the name of it again, so people people have already forgotten it. Courtside. No <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, it's called Courtside, the U.S. Open podcast. Now, there was a previous version of this same show a couple of years ago. So if you see two versions, just look for my American moniker and you will, uh, you will be on the right one. Courtside, okay. the U.S. Open so podcast. So I was going to say of Naomi Osaka, she's probably the best 
women tennis player in the world now, right? She's certainly better than Serena. She's drummed Serena a couple of oh, times. Yeah, I mean, well, she's great on hard service, but she's not good on clay or um, that's right or grass. Okay. So, but, but yeah, she's she's, very, she's very good. in the running. She's yes. in the conversation for best player in the world. So she announces yesterday that she's not going to attend any press conferences at the French Open. And she goes into this thing about they just ask the same questions over and over and they put doubt in your mind. And I'm not going anywhere where there's doubt in my mind and I'll pay all the fines. Well, first of all, if I were running the French Open, I would say the first fine is $500,000, which is the equivalent, I guess, of what you get paid. Whatever you get paid for winning, that would be the first fine. And then she could either do the press conference or not play in a tournament. I don't think anybody cares in France. Not in France. I mean, tennis people around the world would say, gee, we miss her. But as you say, she's not that good on clay. So maybe the, the worry about doubt in her mind is the fact that this is the French Open and she already has doubt in her mind, which sounds like when she says, I don't want to have anything to, to do with people who put doubt in my mind. These are just people asking questions. The doubt is either in your mind or it isn't in your mind. You know, I mean, and it sounds like something a sports psychologist who you paid $200,000 a year to hold your hand would tell you, don't go in there. Don't listen to them. They'll put doubt in your mind. Okay. So that's my feeling about that. My other feeling is I made a living going to these press conferences my whole life. And I asked what I thought were reasonable and responsible questions. And I built a series of relationships with athletes over our conversations in these particular press conferences. And I'm just really glad. I'm really glad that I don't do this anymore for a living because I wouldn't have to face this. Although there's always some people who don't want to come in. Rashid Wallace just showed up famously and said, both teams played hard, my man. Both teams played hard. And I have the T-shirt from Brian McIntyre to prove it. Or Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here not to get a fine. And you know, don't come. It's okay. You don't have to come. You don't have to make a big deal about it. You just don't have to show up if you don't want to show up. But in the case of Naomi Osaka, I have heard her talk. She's quite smart. She's quite interesting. And by the way, a political activist. She is the one who put the names of people who were killed by the police on the masks that she wore. Am I right about that, Nigel? I think I'm yes. right about that. Yes, you are right. Yes. Okay. That is an act of political activism. And, and so I would think if you do that, you'd want to talk about this. That would be my thought. You wouldn't just do it and walk away from it. You would want to talk about this. So that surprised me a little bit. The secondary part about this, there was a defense written essentially of her position that was read to me, which said she doesn't want to talk about the Olympics coming up. Well, I, I got to tell you, you, you are a Japanese citizen. I don't think it's an unreasonable question to ask an athlete, particularly an athlete of Japan, what he or she thinks about the wisdom of having the Olympics. I, I just That doesn't strike me as a terrible question. It doesn't. So in general, I am sorry she's not going to do this. Specifically, I don't think these questions are terrible. Do you get the, She said, well, you get the same questions over and over and over again. Of course you do. And what I said on television yesterday was most of these things that I went to yielded nothing. They were rather benign and yielded nothing. But every once in a while, John McEnroe walked in the room. Yeah. And that was the 4th of July. John McEnroe <laughs> sat down and he jumped on the couch and analyzed himself. And it was, as they say on Seinfeld, gold, Jerry. That was gold. Okay, two other things. Tiger has talked to someone at Golf Digest. And he has said the number one goal in his life is just to walk on his own. That sends a little shiver down your spine, doesn't it, Michael? It does, but this reminds you of maybe it's eight or ten years ago, and he goes, I just want to be able to have a good life. I want to be able to get on the ground and play with my kids. So this right. is this is even more extreme than that. But it's 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 just the reality that you've lost the prime and now sort of the, the past prime glory of someone's career. He's wearing, he had a compound fracture. He's wearing a brace not dissimilar to Alex Smith's. We always bring up Alex Smith. I don't, not we. I always bring up Alex Smith because Alex Smith's comeback is so amazing. It's also one in a million. It doesn't mean Tiger will be able to do it. 
If Tiger is saying now, I just want to walk on my own, he's 45 or 46 years old. 46, I believe. So I think we all sort of have to be conditioned to the fact that Tiger will never play competitive golf again. Right, right? again, this comes down to when this first happened, you try and think, you're fast-forwarding. Best-case scenario, how old would he be when he's actually able to play, then able to compete? Obviously, he'll always have the, the, the Masters in his back pocket, but you're starting to look at... Phil might have changed everything because he's close to 51, but you're looking at someone who's not going to really have the chance to play at all till he's 48, maybe. Yeah, well, thank you for mentioning Phil because Phil is in the news as well. Phil is now, he's no longer simply a professional golfer. He's a golf entrepreneur. He packages television shows and sells them to anybody with American cash money, which is TNT the last couple of times. This will be the fifth or the fourth one that he's uh, so doing. So I've lost count. The iteration of the match. In this one, he will again play with Tom Brady, who had the greatest hole, any greatest shot anybody greatest ever seen. Out. You know, just from like after one. after the the worst Charlie Brown start ever. Terrible. And then he knocked one in from 150 yards. He's still out. looking for that ball. I think on the third hole. Yeah. So and they will play against Bryson DeChambeau, who will bring a crowd because people want to see him play with Aaron Rodgers. I've played with Aaron Rodgers. He's good. Aaron Rodgers is not walking out there on July 6th with a handicap higher than five. I guarantee you. He'll well, probably get he'll down to two or three. To he'll be able to practice a lot in right. the interim. That's right, because he's not doing not any doing OTAs. And he's going to practice, and he'll walk out there as a two or a three, because significantly better than Brady. Um, Brady already trolling by saying to DeChambeau, you better practice laying up because Rodgers not going for it. Uh, and they're going to have this match. And, and what I would say about Phil Mickelson now is that he's he's like Dick Wolf. He's created Law and Order, and now he's doing spinoffs for anybody that will buy it. And this gives him more commercial viability, which is all he really wants. It's so great. Just gr- to sell sunglasses, yeah. sell his button-down shirts, and don't forget the Phil Feels Good Coffee. <laughs> it's just, it's so great. The fact that he won the PGA is going to give him he five more years. In apparently a decade because he downs this stuff all day, but he has a special recipe, so it gets the jitters out of your system. And he fasts 36 hours a day. I mean, Phil has become this interesting, eccentric human being. And he will be on TV again, and I will watch. It's July 6th. It's in a resort in Big Sky, Montana. Isn't our emailer Steve Sigourney from Big Sky, Montana? If Steve is listening, maybe he could tell us something about this. And usually... When Phil goes to a place to play that he hasn't been before, they give him a house that he no, has for the rest always, of his he's life. He's always interested in that it's ownership out. stake. He's got a house, probably. So I, I will, because I'm crazy stupid, I will watch this on the evening of July In a 6th. golf-rich six-month period, you've got all four majors lined up. You have, hopefully, the Olympics. You have geared up for the FedEx Cup playoffs. You have the Ryder Cup. Phil's squeezing this in middle of the week, doesn't care about who's putting eyeballs on it. And you just think about the rivalries that are now happening in golf. And you remember, if you come back to Phil and the, you know, the fasting and the coffee and all this, do you remember when he was talking about, oh, well, it's just the belly fat, it's the subcutaneous yes. fat. <laughs> I actually carry the ball longer than Tiger. If, if he really should get better equipment... That seems so innocent compared to the personal attacks that are happening right now. Between DeChambeau and, and okay. Kepka, there was somebody somebody Brady's on the ringer. It. Yeah, somebody on the ringer suggested Phil should just announce this and DeChambeau should play against Kepka and Roger should play against Brian Gudekinst, who is the GM uh, who he hates so much of <laughs> of uh, Green Bay. Yeah. Phil, it is just it is just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before Phil is announcing his own tournaments as he's playing in them, actual PGA tournaments, and CBS says goodbye to Faldo, and NBC says goodbye to Azinger, and they mic up Phil, and he does it all the way around. Don't you think? Well, this is my plan from all along. You come back to the 2020 PGA when he goes into the booth, and they think he's going to be there for like 15, 20 minutes. It's two hours. And he takes over. <laughs> right. He's doing jokes that are going not over Nick Faldo's head, around his head. And you actually think he could be the first one of these guys that just sort of breaks the relationship with the Blazer and the network, and he just goes, I'm going to handpick these events, I'll play in them hopefully, and I'm going to come in and give you the best three or four hours, whatever your team wants, and I'm going to make this must-watch must TV. I... I totally agree with that so anyway we make the Ryder cup well he just won the pga i i think is steve stricker the captain yeah he's got to pick phil if you saw the fan movement the wave of people imagine that against the backdrop of lake michigan they just love him he's got to pick phil i don't see that there's any way out of that and he should pick phil we'll take a break when we return i believe ann hornaday will give us a summer 
movie preview. And Michael, what is the movie you, you oh, care about? In the Heights. And, yeah. and then there's Cruella. And then there's, is it another horror movie, Nigel? What's the horror movie? Oh, it's called A Quiet Place 2. It's the Emily Blunt. It was a huge hit, uh, the first yeah. one that came out. Okie dokie. So Ann Hornaday, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the solo stove ad. I sort of rambled on this myself the other day, but Michael, you've had occasion to be around the solo stove and you have thoughts about the, the sort of campfire mentality and what it does to relationships. It's campfire without the mess. And even as you get to this, now you're looking at early summer weather, there's nothing like being able to step outside and get lost in conversation, the relationships that happen around that dancing firelight. It is, it's, um, you know, I talked about seeing it at camp, but it is really... It is a uniquely relaxing circumstance to sit around a fire with some other people. Some people like Saliza sits around alone, which is fine and has dialogue with himself. Um, mostly people would have monologue with themselves, but Chris has dialogue. He plays a variety of parts. Uh, I, I haven't done it in a while. I have great fond memories of it. I would like to do it because I just I think I, I think that there is a fellowship that happens naturally around a fire. And I can't explain it. I'm not smart enough to explain what happens, but it, it affects almost everyone in the same way. They are more relaxed, they're happier, they're more open, they feel secure. I mean, because it, it, there's a great feeling of sort of being at one with nature and yet taming it a little bit. I mean, the mythology of fire you know, all all of the ancient mythologies start with fire and Prometheus, right? And But even now it comes down to, as you're having those conversations, looking to your left, looking to your right, are we going to do this or are we going to add one more log? How is that going to change the direction of this, this communication right now? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, a solo stove creates story-worthy moments without the fireside fumes. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. So little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. It's easy to keep lit. It's even easier to clean. It's easy to light with just a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes. Solo stove people are so confident you'll love it. They offer a lifetime warranty and a 30-day free return policy. So check out the deep discounts available during their Memorial Day sale and get a free stand with any fire pit. You can use your solo stove on any surface with this stand, including decks or outdoor rugs. I don't have an outdoor rug, but I got a deck. Perfect deck for this. Please use promo code Tony K at solostove.com for an extra $10 off. That's solostove.com, promo code Tony K for $10 off on top of their incredible Memorial Day discounts. But hurry, the Memorial Day sale ends May 31st. That's in three days, two, three days, something like that. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The note comes to us from Michael Stone, who writes, Hello, Nigel. I told my friends in the Evan Riley band I'd send in a couple of their songs when Mr. Tony left the radio waves, but never actually got around to nudging them to send permission. They're a group of music teachers and other professionals who also happen to have an excellent band out of the Madison, Wisconsin area. They recently released their third album, White Albums and a Taste of Stone. I have no idea what that means. Their drummer, Todd, listens from time to time, but isn't really a person of the pod, so I had a male consent, which is attached. Um, this is for Anne is called The Fool, uh, again, from the album White Apples and a Taste of Stone, and it's the Evan Riley Band. Anne Hornaday joins us now, and this is Memorial Day weekend, which traditionally in the movie business means an onslaught of general interest, big blockbuster movies, often in recent years, sort of comic book movies, but they don't have to be that way. They could be sequels. They could be, you know, in the old days, it could have been Star Wars, you know, which I don't consider a comic book movie, but other people would. So, so your, and your, your sort of general sense of Memorial Day and the equation of summer movies, and then obviously the big ones that are coming out and the larger question, largest question, is anybody going to the theaters to watch them? So go ahead. Okay. Well, you know, I think they're making a valiant effort. They, they are, they're putting out the two big ones this weekend are Cruella and the um, A Quiet Place Part 2, which is the Have you seen to, them? I saw Cruella. Is it good? It's a lot. <laughs> it's, okay. a lot of, it's a lot of movie, and there are good things in it, including two Emmas, Stone and Thompson. Just like them both. Absolutely. Like them both. Oh, my God. 
Oh, Emma Thompson. Oh my goodness. I mean, she's, she's, she's the baddie before, you know, before Emma Stone is the baddie. She teaches the baddie Emma Stone, all her baddie things. And oh, it's delicious. But it's a lot of movie. It's all over the place. It's kind of incoherent. It's a lot of, um, it's, you know, it, it, it kind of falls apart. It's um, just a wonderful tagline. And big, like they say, Cruella. And at the bottom, it says kind of incoherent. Anne Harnaday. It's just yeah, so that's great. Me. Yeah, that's all just you know, raining on everybody's parade this summer. Um, okay. And I didn't see A Quiet Place. I was a big fan of the first one. And it sounds like the second one is really good, too. So this is an interesting test case for little Miss Annie Hornaday about like, well, do I go to the theaters to see it? Right. Do I put my money where my mouth is? And, um, you know, we'll see. I don't know. I'm not really quite there yet. I've, I've seen one movie in a theater and I was the only one in it. And I felt fine doing it that way. But, you know, I'm still tiptoeing in that direction. I'm not I'm not running yet. So, um, so what has happened in the last year or so in acknowledgement of the virus is that some movies went to theaters, but most movies went straight to television, direct to TV. What's going to happen now? I think what's going to happen now is a lot of experimentation. And I'm actually, I just did a story for this weekend's paper about how, you know, what I want to what. Obviously, Hollywood wants to bring people back into theaters with big movies like these two movies and F, you know, F9, the Fast and Furious movie and Black Widow. I get it. You know, they want to they, they feel like big spectacles are the way to get people in because we miss seeing stuff on the big screen. But my point is, don't forget those middle range movies, things like Magic Mike and Girls Trip and bridesmaids um, that did, you know, that are also summer movies that weren't big blockbusters, but ended up being incredibly fun to see in theaters. Like they are still in theater experiences just because they're so much fun to watch. And my worry to your point is that that scale of movie has been relegated to streaming and it's been, it's been going that direction anyway. And then this year kind of sealed it. And I, I, that's what worries me the most because I kind of feel like those are theatrical films and theater owners love them too, because they get people in, you know, they do well and they play and play and play. Um, and so that's what I'm going to be watching not just this summer, but just as we all reopen and, and feel better about going back. Right. And we will, you know, I mean, the polling is all positive. People are feeling better about going back. It's, it's a process, but we're in it. And I, you know, but they have to give us things to go watch. And that's the kind of, you know, yes, give us the spectacles, but give us those littler movies too, because those are just as much fun, frankly, more fun for me, you know? Um, so that's what I'm going to be watching. And I think Holly studios are playing with that formula. Do they do them day and date? Do they play them in theaters and on streaming at the same time? Do they play them in a theater for a few weeks and then take them to streaming? You know, it's just, I think it's, everyone's going to be fiddling with the formula to see what makes the most sense for every single title, you know? So my, my cynical question is, you know, this is the cynical question. The Academy Awards ratings were a disaster. Exactly. The lowest of all time. Nobody wanted to watch it because nobody had seen these movies, which mm. which begs this question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is there, in fact, an appetite for movies anymore? Do you think there is? Yes. And here's why. I think those ratings prove that. I think that what those ratings told me was that we still need those theatrical. We need that. Um, you know, the streaming fire hose. I, people did see those movies. It's just that they never sort of got critical mass in the culture because people, you know, only subscribers to Hulu saw that movie and only people, right. you know, most people do have Netflix now, but it's, it's siloed. And so you can't get that traction or that kind of um, critical mass to become part of the quote unquote conversation. And I still think theatrical does that. I mean, I, that's what, that's what creates that is that, oh, we have to go see this right now and we have to see it together and laugh or cry or, you know, whatever. Um, But that's, so in a way, I kind of feel like those ratings were proof of concept, you know, that people do still care about going to movies. And Okay, well, let let me me just do the follow-up question then. Because 
because the experience of watching movies and or television shows happened in the same spot, happened mm -hmm. in your living room. You mm -hmm. didn't go outside to do it. And television shows give you so much more. They give you six episodes, eight episodes, 12 episodes. Does that diminish the appetite for a one-shot, two-hour movie? You know what I'm saying? Again, I think not. And then I think that's okay. the difference. And I still think that that's a distinction people do crave because sometimes you just want to go out and see a movie. I mean, I still think that that cultural practice is, is a, you know, it's still there. It's just been dormant and it hasn't been rewarded. And I, and the only, and, and what you need to be able to do that is something to see and not all of, you know, look, I get it. Like now we're, we're in the midst of a generation that has grown up thinking, when they think movie, they think Marvel, you know, they think, well, that's yeah. what a movie is. But you and I know, you know, yes. that we think of a movie as, you know, um, three days of the condor, <laughs> you know, like yeah. a really good, you, yeah. you want to go out and just, yeah. um, and have a night and, and go see a good movie. But I think the impulse is the same, you know, it's like, sometimes you just want to do that. And, when we were watching and watching and watching all year long, it did, the, the boundaries did blur and people, I, you know, it did become indistinct. Like, well, what is, it's all just stuff. Um, but I still do believe that that discrete experience of movie, people do, they, they, they want to have that beginning, middle and done. You know, they don't want it to just go on and on and on and on all the time. So then you, when you use, you use the word dormant, so I take it what your belief is, is that the movie business has not changed forever, that it will go back to what it was? Yes? It, no, do you see I think it's changed. No, I do think it's changed, Tony. I, I do. I think maybe, I mean, I have to check my own kind of Pollyanna. You know, it's, it's going to be a matter of degree. And I think it's going to be a matter of really knowing every single movie that these, con now that they're not even studios anymore, content creators, you know, arms of corporate mergers that we just saw with Amazon and MGM. Yes, yes. When they go to make something, they just have to know exactly how, you know, what's, how to recoup, whether that's in terms of box office, a combination of box office and um, subscribers or just subscribers only. I mean, the thing is, this, this gets kind of weedy, but the streamer's definition of success is completely different than a theatrical movie distributors. You know, you know, streamers, they're just trying to get subscribers and keep the ones they have, right? It's not, it's not dollars. It's not ducats at the door, you know? When they're paying the money for that movie, it's to get those subscribers and keep them. And so... You, you know, you almost have to kind of, they're, they're completely different valuation systems. And so then you get into, well, then what, how does that make, but I still, again, I still think a theatrical release for a movie, even if it's going to end up on streaming in a few weeks, mm -hmm. it creates more awareness and more distinction for that movie than just slamming it on your, you know, on your site and letting your algorithms do their work, which they really do beautifully. I'm not putting them down. They, they work. But if you want to create and I guess this comes down to the people that make the movies. They have to demand like, well, if we think this is special, you know, and that this can rise above, you, you have to create something different for it. It can't just be part of the fire hose. That's yeah. my, that's my upset. You know, that's from where I sit. That's what it looks like. And I, I think if there's wrong, but well, I think if there's a casualty in the short term, it is the movie star. I just, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, now there's been so many years of people wearing costumes and mm -hmm. so many years of sequels and so many years of, of sort of a lack of caring about the acting that movie stars or people who should be movie stars, their appeal is much more limited than it's ever been. I, I mean, that's my thought. I don't know how I you think, feel about it. I that. don't think you're wrong. I mean, and, and, and now where are the stars coming from? They're coming from Bridgerton and TikTok. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're coming from a completely different pipeline than days of yore when you and I were, yeah. you know, so yeah, you're right. I mean, I think every, all of those equations have changed and, and their value, that valuation is different too, because they come with followers, you know, and that's their value. That's already a known quantity that can be 
quantified and monetized. Yeah, God help yeah. us, movie influencers. God yeah. help us all. You know, that's what we but, don't you know, want. All it really takes, though, Tony, is grim as it sounds is just that exception like the girls you know it's, it's going to take something that will prove to them like oh yeah this can still work mm-hmm. um if, if they will you know like there's a couple of really there are a few movie movies i call them movie movies but they're like you know smaller mid-range or mid-range movies that are coming out this summer like um this super movie that was at sundance called coda it's a coming of age teen not even a teen comedy it's a family, you know, it's about a teenager, but, um, it's just one of those crowd pleasers, you know, it's funny. It's, um, it's got great music, great acting. Marley Matlin is in it. It's, you know, it's just that kind of thing you want to see in a theater with lots of people. And, and that will be in theaters. It was, it went to Apple TV. So obviously they're a streamer, but they are going to put in theaters. Thank goodness. And I just, so it'll be interesting to see, you know it'll be interesting to see if something can catch and then um, maybe prove to these streamers like that it, there's it's still worth it to you you know to give people something to see when they go well, let's out. Let's hope that works out. Thank you, Anne. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Anne Hornaday, boys and girls. We will take a break. We will come back. Richard Justice will join us. I am Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the policy genius ad. This is well written. Summer is quickly approaching. Enjoy it without a looming to-do list. Policy genius makes it easy to get life insurance done and done right. Policy genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with policy genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using policy genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies. So you can trust them to help you navigate every stop, step rather, of the shopping and buying process. Getting started is easy. Just head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and the scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, and Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is sent to us by Michael Stone, and it is the Evan Riley Band. And the drummer of the band, Todd, and Michael Stone worked with the University of Wisconsin marching band for years. He said, I was there for 25 years as a staff member in March before that. The Missouri band's rendition of the mailbag theme is the coolest thing I've ever heard another school's band do ever. Don't tell them that or they'll get big heads. This is exactly how I feel. It's, it's one of the great honors the show has ever had. M-I-C. You know, it's just great. Um, this is Fly Away. Uh, and this is, again, the Evan Riley band. You can listen to the Evan Riley band in with these songs without me yapping through them at the end of the show. Michael, if people want to send music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. I ate so many of those bugs outside that I need water all the time. The bugs, I hate these bugs. They're what just, are these bugs? I don't know what they're called. They're just at eye level. They're circular. smaller than gnats. They're not like the no Just awful. Anyway, uh, the music of the Evan Riley band plays in Richard Justice, and we're going to start... I want to talk about the Dodgers visiting the Astros and the legitimate bad blood there in this three-game series. Maybe it's four-game series. I'm not sure. But there was a play that happened yesterday in an afternoon game that I'm an old man. I've never seen this. I've never seen this. There's two outs. There's a runner on second. The Cubs are up with two outs. Javi Baez hits a routine ground ball to third. If you throw to first base... Javi Baez is out. It's pretty simple. It's the way baseball starts. Javi Baez is out. And then Javi Baez did something that so confused and perplexed the Pittsburgh first baseman that the result was a play I've never seen. Richie, did you ever see anything like that? No, and I think that's the first thing that was said in the Cubs dugout. David Ross looked down and goes, you guys ever seen that? I mean, you can see the reaction of Anthony Rizzo and guys. They just they couldn't believe what they were seeing. And the first thing I thought was, oh, my gosh, this young first baseman, Will Craig, 
that's going to follow him for the rest of his life. I mean, no matter where he goes or what he does, that video is going to come up. And he just had a brain lock, you know. He knew, I mean, he didn't speak to the press afterwards. In, in the era of post-game Zoom, you know, you can control that. You know, in a normal right. time and place, he guys would just be waiting in his locker and said, we'll be here till 10 o'clock, buddy, if that's the way you want to do it. Um, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And, and, but I love the Cubs. I mean, John Scombie and, and, and Jim Deshays on the Cubs broadcast were, I, I, oh my. And even Scully got in on it. Vin Scully tweeted like, you hear that? That's a, that's a salute to Dick Enberg. Oh my, because there was nothing else to say. Oh my. And it was like, Javi Baez does it again. He creates something. He makes things happen. Yeah, I guess he did. He ran the other way and it. It made something happen. It was, I guess that's why you have to, um, sometimes you have to buy a ticket or turn on your TV because you never know what you're going to see. And, and in that, that moment, you saw something you hopefully will never see again. So let me, for people who haven't seen it, Javi Baez <clears throat> hits the ground ball. It's yeah. two outs. The throw is a little bit up the line towards home plate. Javi Baez turns around rather than finish out the run, turns around, to sort of scamper back to home plate as if he is in a rundown and baits right. the first baseman into believing this is a rundown situation. When I, if you're he, the first baseman gets no help because the Pittsburgh dugout should say, hey, just tag first, go to first, because then the inning is over and nobody scores. The guy comes all the way around from second and scores, right. and Javi Baez ends up on second, and that's why they call him El Mago, the magician, but it was... <laughs> Again, I've I've never seen it. I've never well, you've no, never and, seen it either. Nobody has. No, and there were two. Yeah, and there were two outs. You take two, two steps outs. back. I don't know if Javi baited him or what, but the guy got into a situation. He was caught betwixt in between, and then all hell broke loose. There's no one covering first base as Baez. Right. Then the, the guy throws to the catcher. The the runner heads up, you know, hustle home and beat the throw. Then the catcher has no one to throw to. He ends up throwing it down the right field line. And Baez goes to second, and uh, and <laughs> again, Shambi and and the Chase were just yelling, "Keep running, keep running!" <laughs> it so was a for, little league play, you know, you probably for see people that. You probably see sure. it in a little league play all the time. For people who don't understand the rule, the guy from second scores. Fifteen people could have scored. It doesn't matter right. if the mm -hmm. out is That's made right. at first. All the runs are negated. All the runs are negated, and I, like you, after I stop laughing, I feel bad for this kid on Pittsburgh because he's, you're right, he's never going right. to outrun that, right? No, he's not. He, he's not, and he's going to have to today, uh, he's going to have to face the music in a pregame interview and just say, what you have to do is you have to laugh it off. You have to say, that's never happened to me. I, I hope it'll never happen to me. I just... I followed the guy. I took a step the wrong way. And instead of thinking to go back and just touch first and in the inning, and that's that, uh, I messed up. I went and yeah, chased the guy back to home plate where, you know, the rules of baseball are you go the other way. You go counterclockwise. <laughs> that's exactly right. All right. Just, um, just it's, um, it's pretty great. And it was pretty great. You know, I know the, the manager of the, the Pirates, Derek Shelton, and you could just see the look on his face like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> it's just, it's a great, it's a great watch. Uh, the Dodgers are, are or were at the Astros. The Dodgers hate the Astros. The Dodgers believe the Astros cheated them out of a World Series. The Dodgers do not run away from saying that out loud. What was, and a lot of people from California went to that game and they were Dodger fans. What was that scene like? What is being said in Houston about that series? Well, this was the first time all year there had been a full house. So there was 34,000 the first night, 30,000 the second night. So you throw that in, and players on both sides will tell you there was an energy in the park you don't feel. But you're right. Mm -hmm. They don't – there's a – there's a sports writer at the New York Daily News named Andy Martino. He has a book coming out, I think it's on June 8th, called Cheated. And it will shed additional light on the Astros cheating. And let me just say, for all the bad stuff that's happened to the Astros, there's more bad information about them coming out. And it will, it will solidify all the things the Dodgers saw. However, 
I think he's going to implicate other teams, too, because Jacob DeGrom, one of the anecdotes in the book, Jacob DeGrom got hit so hard at a game at Dodger Stadium a few years ago that the next day he toured Dodger Stadium. He walked around looking for cameras. I don't know that he ever found one. But anyway, so that's the backdrop. The Do- There's only five Astros left from the 2017 team. Four of those are the starting infielders plus Lance McCullers. But there is bad blood, and they, it's personal to those guys. It will always be personal to those guys, and especially to Clayton Kershaw. I believe the stat is on the night Clayton Kershaw couldn't hold a couple of leads in Game 5 of the World Series, one of the craziest, the 2017 World, World Series, one of the craziest games you'll ever see. I think the number is he threw 52 curveballs, and the Astros swung at one of them. What does that tell you? That tells you they there was, was some coming. information. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't get any worse than that. And for a guy like Clayton Kershaw, who's been one of the great pitchers of our generation, but you always go back, hey, Clayton, you haven't been good enough in the postseason, blah, blah, blah. Well, he would look at that and go, yeah, how was I supposed to, how was I supposed to counteract that, uh, you know, when they were doing that? So there was that. It was, a great, it was an entertaining series, and um, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. I, I'd say that, the the three the two best teams in the National League are in the National League West, the Padres and the Dodgers. And uh, it's going to be an interesting year. The Dodgers are scary good. You know, and another backdrop of that is the general, the architect of the Dodgers, Andrew Friedman. He is from Houston. He grew up in Houston. And his dad is sort of a big deal in Houston on the sports commission. So there's lots of, lots of back and forth and all that. And obviously, Clayton Kershaw's from Dallas. So they know each other well and they hate each other. Let me get to that interesting statistic that there are only four years out, five Astros left, the starting infield and McCullers. When the contracts of Altuve and Bregman, and much like with George Springer, when those contracts are up, do you expect each and all of them to leave? I've always thought the most important player in this run for the Astros that started with making the playoffs in 15, the most important player was George Springer in terms of emotion, production, all of that stuff. And my opinion is, and he has not said this, that when he became a free agent after last season, he didn't want to come back to Houston. He ends up with the Toronto Blue Jays. He could have gone to the Mets. um, That he just wanted to to go and get a clean start. And it seems that when Mm -hmm. players leave, um, all is forgotten. And so... Carlos Correa will, is in his last season as an Astro. He's going to be the shortstop. He's going to be a free agent. Um, Zach Greinke and Justin Verlander, their contracts are up. Verlander, we don't know if he'll pitch this year. He's recovering from Tommy John. So I do think, do I think Altuve will leave? I think he's the most likely to stay, but he's got a couple more years on his deal. Uh, Bregman has Alex Bregman has a couple more years. Yuli Gurriel has one more year. And uh, McCullers just signed an extension. It's interesting. I always thought, and I think you probably would agree with this, no matter where players are, whether in Kansas City or Pittsburgh or New York, they like where they are for the most part, and they don't want to leave. But I think it was so awful, and I think the taint on your career has been so bad. You're never going to escape it for a lot of these guys. That that 2017 World Series trophy is going to be tainted forever. Had they won the World Series last year, and they missed going to the World Series by one game, that would have started to alleviate a little bit. But the stain is never going to go away. And believe me, when this book is, comes out in a couple of weeks, it's going to look worse. Now, some other teams are going to look bad, but nobody went over the line the way the Astros did. Okay, let me, let me stay with the subject of cheating and the St. Louis pitcher and right. the bullfrog on the hat, not on the inside of the hat, right on the top of the bill of the hat. Mike Schilt goes crazy and starts talking about melanoma, which is insane. I mean, I don't know what you're, you can't really go there. But he talks about all the cheating that goes on and how this was unfair. All they asked him to do, Richie, was take off the hat. They didn't throw him out of the game. They just asked him to take off the hat. What are your thoughts about this? But, Tony, this is the most complicated thing that Rob Manfred is going to face, in that the hat had sunscreen on it. And Ross, I'm sure it had those two things. Everyone agrees. Hitters agree. Pitchers agree. League of umpires agree. We want the pitchers to use rosin. There's a bag of it right there on the mound. 
and we now allow them to use sunscreen to get a little bit of tack because you want them to be able to hold the ball. Here's what's happened. There are other substances being used now, and you're seeing crazy velocity increases, crazy spin rate. And what we're seeing is the worst offensive season since 1968. Pitchers are dominating hitters to a point that it's just unacceptable to the game with the strikeouts and the walks. Guys are throwing harder. They don't know where it's going. So what do you do about it? Like there, uh, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic had an anecdote recently. Uh, A rookie got his first hit, and the ball was being passed around on the bus back, and it had a sticky substance on it. And it and and there is something other being used. How do you police it? How do you discover it? Well, how do you get back to what is right and what is wrong? Baseball tried to loosen up the baseball a little bit for this year, but it, I don't think it's had much of an impact at all. It is a tough situation, and how do you police it? So the player. So what happened in this game? The umpire says he's got stuff on his hat. Well, everyone he's used the same hat for a while. Everyone has something on the hat. They they sort of branded this guy as a cheater, and I I would be willing to guess what they're going to find is pine tar and sunscreen, and that's okay. And I think Mike Schilt tried to clarify that yesterday in saying he heard texts, he got text messages from peers, and he texted back and forth to MLB officials and saying, you know what you're looking for, you're not probably not going to find on this cap. There is a problem. But how do we find the middle ground? We want the pitcher to be able to hold the ball and to be able to have control so the game is less dangerous. On the other hand, we don't want the guy's spin rate to increase from 1,500 to 2,500, as Trevor Bauer and others have pointed yeah. out that that has happened dramatically. I don't know how you handle it. I don't know how you police, police it that way. But it's going to have to be there's, – there's going to have to be a policing – because the game, as Don Mattingly said last week, at times it's almost unwatchable with the strikeouts and the velocity. It's there's no action. There's not enough action. Let me. I'll just. I'll just lead into this, and it'll. I'll get you out of here on this. All of that is true. I agree with all of it. And yet, there is one player in the major leagues who I look at and I say, "My God, how did this guy come around?" And that is Shohei Otani. Right. It's. It's. He's uh, remarkable. Never is he not? Before. Right. We've never seen a player like this since Babe Ruth. Uh, it's been 100 years. And what, we're, what we have seen this year is what we thought was possible is possible. And, I, you know, every team is looking for a two-way player to use that extra, have that extra body, a guy that can pitch. Uh, the, the Rays have a guy they're, they're grooming for that, Brendan McKay, that was taken high in the draft. But a, a scout told me a couple of years ago, having watched Otani, do both. I mean, at one point this year, he had the hardest hit ball and the hardest thrown ball. And the scout told me, he goes, maybe we shouldn't look for comps. Maybe this guy is so unique that there is not going to be a comp, that he is a freak in terms of talent, that he is one of those guys that's gifted in a way we've never seen a player gifted before. And I'm telling you, like, you see him hit, and you think, this guy's a hitter. You see him pitch. And you think he's a pitcher? It's it's amazing. It's a gift to be able to watch this guy play. I agree with that. And he's making no money. He's making no money, right? Didn't well, he, he sign for? A, no, he got a he got a big bonus to come here. And, but just like everybody else, he will get his money. You know, for three years, the team controls you, and right. then and then you get it back. If he stays healthy, he is going to make a ton of money because he, he also. He's going to make a ton of money in endorsements because he's just so likable. And, you know, one of those guys you root for to have Trout and Otani on the same team is, uh, is, is a pretty cool thing. And to never get into the playoffs. Never. You know, just <laughs> awful. Like, just right. awful. Never get in. Richie, thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Tony. Richard Justice, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will come back with email and a jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the FitBot ad. I'm going to back away and let Nigel talk about the experience he has because he belongs to the FitBot regime, whatever it is. 
Yes, the Fitbod community. I am a big part of yeah. that. Yes, it, it's been brilliant, particularly, <clears throat> excuse me, in this last year when um, I have not been able to go to the gym, as so many people have not been able to go to the gym, and you don't want to come out of the pandemic weighing 400 pounds, um, and Fitbod is in I don't know. If you went in weighing 460, <laughs> well, that's you might be point. okay. Yes, yeah. that's a terrific point. But yeah, it, it's got all the exercise you want to do, whatever, however you want to work out. It's got tutorials there. Um, it's very affordable. It really <laughs> is like having a personal trainer right there on your phone with you, walking you through everything you want to do. It's just brilliant. Fitbod creates a program based on your unique body experience and environment. Their algorithm uses data and analytics to help you build on your last workout and maximize your results. Whether you're exercising three days a week or twice a day, Every workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last. Fitbod workouts are balanced to avoid overworking muscles with varied exercises to keep you sharp. No equipment? No worries. Fitbod has bodyweight routines for those looking to get fit at home or on the go. Fitbod is easy to use. It even has, as Nigel points out, HD video tutorials to make learning a new exercise a breeze. It integrates with other fitness and health apps like Apple Health, Fitbit, and Strava. Maybe that's Strava. I don't know. Personalized training can be tough on a budget, but Fitbot is only $9.99 a month or $59.99 a year. And if you sign up now, you'll get 25% off your membership. Pick up the pace on your fitness journey with Fitbot today, and your future self will thank you. Get 25% off your membership at fitbod.me slash Tony. That's 25% off at fitbod.me slash Tony. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your email faxes and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all you folks. Thank you, Gary. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us, please? Yes, thank you, Mr. Tony. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you will be thrilled, my friend. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. (laughs) Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. If you have a chance to hear that record by Jerry Lee Lewis or any of the early records that Jerry Lee Lewis did, you will sit there in amazement and say, how come this guy wasn't as big as Elvis? And he wasn't. He wasn't close. As big as he was, he wasn't close to Elvis. Yeah. Thanks to our guest today, Ann Hornaday, Richard Justice. Thanks to our sponsors today, Solo Stove, FitBot, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you got the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. From Joe Rizzo in Oak Hill, Virginia, I wanted to let you know there's a tremendous benefit from the cicada invasion pertinent to the parents of young baseball players. As the parent of a pro player, I constantly experimented with different types of drills during his formative years. And one such highly effective drill came about during the last cicada invasion called Cicada Ball. It's a simple drill that goes like this. With your player standing about 15 feet away with a wiffle bat ready to swing, you grab a cicada by the wings, pitch it to your hitter. The cicada flutters and swirls a bit, so it's incumbent upon the hitter to follow the path of the cicada, thus building hand-eye coordination. It's not easy, but once the hitter starts tracking the flight, there is no higher sense of parental satisfaction to hear that ping from contact as the cicada is obliterated. Of course, the women to whom I'm related to by marriage were... The woman was appalled, even though I explained the cicadas were short-timers, so their sacrifice was for the greater good. After all, it's for the kids. All about the wooden bat. From Jack. Jack Beerwith in in Chicago. I'd like to extend an invitation to attend my wedding June 26th at the Chicago Athletic Association in, as you might guess, Chicago. If you're going to choose a post-pandemic celebration other than half of a chicken parm at the Palm, we make it this one. We all know you're itching to grab those amulets and hop on a plane as soon as physically possible. We'd be even open to setting up a table at happy hour where all the guests can pay to have you sign their copies of I'm Back for More Cash. Those Smathers and Branson belts aren't going to pay for themselves. Should you choose not to come, feel free to re-gift your invitation to Will Bonner, Bill Murray. Thanks for all the years of entertainment. The show provides me with frequent nostalgia of the few years spent living on Jocelyn and Connecticut Avenue. Now, late, late June golf on Lake Michigan. Pretty good. Pretty good. Reed Newell, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. If a person was born on May 21st, 2000, that was just this past week, they would have turned 21 on the 21st day in the 21st week of the 21st year in the 21st century. 
or as we call it in Western Pennsylvania, the Roberto Clemente special. But you weren't <laughs> here to celebrate the event on your podcast, so does that mean it didn't happen? No, it happened. Rick Heron in Dayton, Ohio, is a loyal little. It pained me to hear that a fellow little, Chris Ely, got yet another email read on the show, but even worse, his email prompted a response that became the show title, read the lines, cash the check, and as his boss, it was time to take action. As the manager in Bull Durham said, this is the hardest job a manager has to do, but the ball club wants to make a change. And then I put the head of a horse in his bed. Too much? Hopefully he's not driving when he hears this because his laughter might make him crash. Thanks for all the laughter over the years. Um, from Steve Brundage in Silver Spring, Maryland. My name is Steve. That's it. That's the email. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. From Jeff Boyd in Pittsburgh. On your last podcast, you previewed the PGA with Steve Sands this a, a little while back. And in the course of the conversation, he referred to the great Sam Reeves and the great Jimmy Dunn. Forgive my ignorance, but I'm curious as to why he and you on many occasions referred to certain individuals as great. I've been listening to you since you first went on the air. I don't ever recall you explaining why you referred to these individuals as great. As the truly great William Shakespeare wrote, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. So I'm curious as to which category your great friends fall into and why. There are three. There's the late Jack Vardaman, who's the late great Jack Vardaman. There's the great Sam Reeves and the great Jimmy Dunn, and they all have in common golfing experiences with us. And they've been so very, very kind to us. From Trisha Hutchins in Mount Prospect, Illinois. I've been a loyal little for many years. The man to whom I'm related by marriage and my child, a feminine child, begrudgingly listen to my show notes. But during this past year, the show has taken on new meaning in our house. Solo stove. Got it. Love it. Use the code. Spoonful of comfort. Sent it twice to rave reviews by the recipients. Use the code. While on a call with my mother last week, she was raving about some chicken they had at a friend's home from this company called, and I completed the sentence, Butcher Box. She was surprised I knew of it until I told her, wait, you can use the code and you might get some free bacon. There was a slight pause on the line as she pondered how I knew all this information and I just said, trust me, wait for the code. And finally, my David Aldrich moment. While on the phone with Chuck Culpepper discussing the very long name drug that was found in Medina Spirit System after the Kentucky Derby. He mentioned that it was in a medication called Automax. I said, I know that drug, as we've just started to use it on our dog's ear infection. No one in my house thought it was exciting, especially the dog. Thank you for all you do. Please don't be afraid to go out again, despite all the madness. There are still great experiences to be had, and your family will enjoy them with you if Michael answers the phone. That is a great email. And she knows Chuck Culpepper. I just find that sort of interesting, And too. I always let it go to voicemail. From Elizabeth Gardner in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Um, Linda McInvale, who helped find the tiger in Houston, is the wife of Mattress Mike. I'm in Austin, but I still hear about Mattress Mike. He opened his store to storm victims, Harvey in 2017, Amelda in 2019, and during the power outage earlier this year. He makes Super Bowl bets and won over $3 million with his bet on Brady and the Buccaneers. I thought you might find this detail in this crazy story interesting. My brother told me of the connection to Mattress Mike. Austin in Portland, Maryland. Dear Grandpa, the woman to whom I'm recently engaged to be related by marriage and I are moving to Scottsdale this summer. It's summer. It's 200 degrees. It's a dry heat. <laughs> the Scottsdale this summer before I enroll in the accounting PhD program at Arizona State University. Can you ask Wilbon how many golf memberships I'm required to get and how soon do I start name dropping the people I had dinner with? I'll take my answers <laughs> off the year. From David Hohenstein, who is writing to us from somewhere north of here, as in Edmonton. Once again, can you let Michael know that it snowed last night here in Edmonton? We got around three to six inches. I love it. Thanks again for keeping the pod going. It's, it was 95 here two days ago. What a way to snow. start Memorial Day weekend. Um, yes. And what else? Oh, this is a note uh, from Rob Pretow, or Pretow in Winnipeg in Manitoba. My daughter just turned six, and her name is Ava. She loves avocados, so we call her avocado. Just thought you'd like to know that. Please tell Steve Sands. But we think he means Kirchner. Kirchner. We, we think, think he means Kirchner, Kirchner. not Sands. Yes. And from Rich Johnson in Las Vegas, to paraphrase my friend Kenny Albert, as a kid, I listened to sports radio long before there was sports radio. It was just my uncles and my dad around the table. <laughs> Fabulous. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow. You're an idiot.
Rise and shine, you sleepy-headed Eyes bloodshot and blue Stop your moping before it's too late Click, tick, tock, and a boom Do you feel like I do? 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 Broken dreams and falling hearts Left in the past to consume Late to waste your marionette sways Dark, cold, dreary and cool Do you feel like I do?
Just to fly home. 